0: If you have your copy of God's Word with you this morning, would you open please to the Gospel of Luke chapter 18? Excuse me, Luke chapter 18. We're gonna, I don't know what that was. There was something wrong with my microphone, obviously, Josh. So Luke chapter 18, we're gonna begin in verse 9 this morning. any of you old enough to remember? I, I know them only through reruns, of course. But uh, any of you old enough to remember the old uh, the old westerns, the, the 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 western shows that would come on television, like. Uh, uh, Lone Ranger or those kind of shows. You Remember those shows? That got, I used to love to watch The Lone Ranger in reruns. Nick at night would show it occasionally, and I'd watch The Lone Ranger. And there was something that I learned in watching those old Western shows like this. It was really easy to tell who was the good guy and who was the bad guy. You know how you always told who was the good guy and who was the bad guy, right? It was the color of their hat. Good guys always wore what color hat? White. They always had the white hat. Bad guys always wore what color hat? Black hats. And so it was real easy to tell the good guys from the bad guys. Well, in our text this morning in Luke chapter 18, we find contained in the words here what would have have been considered by Jesus' first hearers of this parable, a contrast between a good guy and a bad guy. I want you to see if you can guess as we read through the passage this morning who the hearers of this parable would have thought would have been the good guy. Who would have been the bad guy? Let's, Let's imagine for just a moment that you're hearing this parable for the very first time. If you can put yourself in a situation where you say, I'm going to read this with fresh eyes this morning, see if you can figure out who the original hearers would have thought to be the good guy and the bad guy. Let's let's start this morning. Verse 9 of Luke chapter 18. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now, let's stop right there for just a moment. If you were hearing this parable for the very first time in the first century in which Jesus lived, as he is telling this parable, who do you think might be the good guys so far? The Pharisee. They're the good guys. They are the moral, upright, righteous people. Who's the bad guy? Tax collector. They are scum of the earth. They're, They're the worst. So let's continue. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get talk about the good guy. This is the good guy. I'm glad I'm not like all of these other people. Look at the lowlifes around us. I don't act like that. No, not at all. In fact, I fast twice a week and I tithe on everything that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Oh yeah, he's the bad guy. He's the sinner. He's the one who does the bad things. The good guy is this Pharisee. He's morally upright, everything going in the right direction in his life, but not this old tax collector. No, he's got to be the bad guy. It's unfortunate that this story has become so familiar to us because often what we think of when we read this story is that this is a comfortable old slipper that somebody else needs to wear besides me. It doesn't really apply to me all that very much this morning. Well, let's continue our way through it and let's see if it does apply to us, perhaps. I tell you, verse 14, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Oh, now the tables have turned. Now we can't tell who's wearing the white hat and who's wearing the black hat. Now we don't know who the good guy is and who the bad guy is. We thought we knew. We thought we had it figured out. The Pharisee is the good guy and this tax collector is the bad guy. But Jesus says something in direct opposition to that. We have two people here. Much like the parable that we looked at last week with the persistent widow, we had this widow and an unrighteous judge in that parable that Jesus used to teach about prayer. And now today we have this Pharisee and this tax collector where Jesus teaches us about prayer again. One of the things that I want you to notice just just by way of introduction this morning is that both of these parables have to do, as I say, with the topic of prayer, leading us to understand more about what prayer is and the life of prayer in which we should live. And Jesus does a lot to correct our notions about prayer in these parables, but it is the expectation that Jesus has that His people will be praying people. He gives the parable with the assumption that prayer will be a part of people's lives. Certainly it should be a part of the lives of the people of God. Certainly it should be a part of our lives, of those who are followers of Jesus Christ, as we live in daily dependence and need upon Jesus Christ to function for every moment of every day. It is assumed that we will be people of prayer. I have no need whatsoever to convince you that you ought always pray and not cease, as Jesus talked about last week assumed we're going to be people of prayer but in our parable this morning just like we looked at last week there was a great contrast contrast between this widow and us as followers of Jesus Christ and a contrast between this unrighteous judge and the righteous God that we serve now there's a contrast as well but the contrast is between these two people this Pharisee and the tax collector and the contrast could not be greater Tax collectors, we've already been introduced to in Luke's gospel. In fact, back in Luke chapter 5, if you want to turn back there, we read in Luke chapter 5 verse 29 that Levi, who was a tax collector, you may know him more by the name Matthew, he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, an apostle of Jesus, and he pens the gospel with his name. Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. The Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. We're introduced to these tax collectors, and we see the animosity already between the Pharisees and the tax collectors, but the animosity was not limited to just the Pharisees and the tax collectors. The Jews in their entire population despised tax collectors. As I say, they were considered scum of the earth in Jewish society. What would happen is that Rome would come in, and Rome would overtake a land like they had done here with Israel, They would collect taxes from the people in the land there. And instead of the Romans going out and collecting the taxes themselves, they they would grab some of the countrymen of the land that they had overtaken and they would present this offer to them, you can go out and you can collect these taxes, you'll get something for doing that, but if you collect more than is owed, you get to keep it. Pretty good deal, isn't it? you want to be a traitor to your country and take advantage of your countrymen, they became tax farmers. They got paid extra through what they extorted from their own people. The Jews despised tax collectors so much that they would not allow a tax collector to provide testimony in court. If you were a tax collector and you were around when someone was murdered and the family of the murdered person wanted justice, they couldn't come to you to provide testimony in court for what had happened because your word was not, it was not credible. You couldn't be trusted. They were considered political traitors. They were despicable and despised by people. Maybe maybe we could categorize them with with people like drug pushers and pimps in our culture today who prey on society, who make money off of other people's bodies, who who make a, a living, stealing life from others. These were the lowest of the low in that culture. And then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees were the most highly regarded group in Jewish society. They were devoted to the law of God and attempting to uphold the law of God. Pharisee would never sell out his own people. Pharisee would never do something like that for personal political gain. In fact, they were victims of the tax collectors as well. They never would have been a part of something like that. So in order to read this parable properly, you have to read it through the eyes of a first century Jewish man or Jewish woman. The Pharisee is good. He's the good guy. There's a positive connotation with him. He's the one wearing the white hat, they think. Tax collector would be the bad guy. Negative connotations. He's the one wearing the black hat. Then Jesus tells us about the prayers of these two people. First of all, the Pharisee's prayer The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. And he lists them off, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Now, let me just say here, it is appropriate to thank God that he has kept us from serious sin. It's appropriate to thank God that he has made a way of escape for us to not give in to temptation when it is presented. Even even to say something like this tax collector seemed appropriate to the hearers of this parable. God, thank you for keeping me from falling into the kind of awful sin that this man has fallen into. You will often hear us use the benediction at the close of our service from the book of Jude, verse 24, verse 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever, amen. And so it is proper for us to thank God when he has kept us from stumbling into sin. We thank God for his keeping power of us. Remind yourself frequently when you look at the lives of other people, there but for the grace of God go I. However, something is off here in this prayer of the Pharisee, isn't it? Notice the place that this Pharisee placed himself in. In verse 13 we we read again the tax collector standing far off. He stood far off from everything going on. Not the Pharisee. The imagery that we have here is the Pharisee standing by himself making his way into the temple. Comes to the temple at the precise hour of prayer. He enters into the court of Israel there. He draws near to the altar of burnt offering. He stands upright and tall so that everyone else could see. Fastened around his forehead would be a A rubber, a a leather band, and attached to it would be a small box that would have scripture cards written in it and placed inside of it. in in obedience to the Word, in very, very literal obedience to the Word of God in Deuteronomy, that you're to place the Word of God uh, around your forehead, on your wrist, that they're to be there where you are reminded through what you think and what you do of the Word of God. And he would have these leather bands wrapped around his arm as well with those same kinds of reminders of God's Word. He was there standing for everyone to see, and he began to pray. What a show it must have been for everyone. You can almost imagine as he makes his way in personal pomp and circumstance that the crowd begins to divide one side from the other as he makes his way down the path until he comes to this place of prayer, making much of himself. Notice how prominent this Pharisee was in his own prayer. The Pharisee, verse 11, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. You notice how self-congratulatory his prayer is? We, We read there that he prayed thus. The literal rendering of the language would be that he prayed to himself. Well, yeah, he did pray to himself and to those around him hearing because God certainly didn't answer this prayer. This, this man was a personification of the old Toby Keith song. I want to talk about me. I want to talk about I. I want to talk about number one. Oh, my, me, my. I want to talk about me. Oh, the Pharisee did that indeed. Look at me. For those of you that are standing around, in case you didn't know, I fast twice a week. I give a tithe of everything that I get. Man, this Pharisee, he was stoned on himself. Notice the the pride that this Pharisee lives in. We, We might even be able to excuse some of what happens but what when he gets to this phrase where he says, I, I thank you, God, that I'm not even like this tax collector here. We think, oh, this has crossed a line now. He drags this tax collector in to draw attention to just how clean he is. Look at how good I am in distinction from this dirty, rotten scoundrel here beside me, this tax collector. Isn't it interesting how we sometimes act that way? I mean, you've heard people say before, oh, well, I can just tell you right now, I'm as good as old so-and-so is. You've heard that, right? Maybe you've thought it. Maybe you've said it before. Why why is this happening to me? I'm as good as old so-and-so is. Well, I'm not arguing with you about that. You very well might be. I don't know why do you look at those who are inferior? Why do you look at those who are less? Why do you look at the ones who are awful, the ones who are despicable? Why do you look at them and say, I'm better than them? Notice I've never compared myself to those who were better than me. It's like you haven't either. Well, I'm not as bad as they are. Well, yeah, but by doggies, you're not as good as they are either. Comparison game goes both ways, doesn't it? Here's this Pharisee drawing attention to this this pride in his own heart by looking at the deplorable nature of this tax collector. Look at them. Oh, how awful they are. They're absolutely despicable. We have no regard for them. We have no regard for their souls, just like this Pharisee had no regard for this tax collector nor his soul. This this Pharisee, often like us, has not been warmed by the love of God he professes to proclaim. He says he loves God, but we can know that's false because of his lack of love for his neighbor. I mean, isn't that what God said? All the way back in the Old Testament, we find it reiterated in the New Testament when Jesus is asked the question, what's the greatest commandment? You know it. The greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, what is the second greatest commandment then? Love your neighbor as yourself. You see, the Word of God makes it abundantly clear that we are called to love God because God has loved us. And then as a result of all of this, we are able then to love our neighbor as well. This Pharisee says that he loves God, but his life betrays that he actually doesn't. Because if he did, he would love the neighbor right beside him, right nearby to him, in shambles. You see, the issue is that this Pharisee regards his goodness as resulting from his own discipline, from his own effort, rather than God's grace and mercy. He says, look what a good man I am. In case you were wondering what it looks like, he lists it for you. Here's what a good man I am. And he lists all the things that he has done with no regard to the mercy of God or the grace of God in allowing it to happen. You ever done that? I mean, honestly. See, one of the problems with Christianity in America, one of the problems that we face is that we've done a wonderful job at times of preaching morality with little room left for the gospel. So that we have a message of you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to not do this, you need to not do this. And so what happens is we end up making it all about us and all about our efforts and all about our discipline rather than the grace and the mercy of God that changes us and transforms us into exactly who God wants us to be. In fact, that's the whole point point of this parable. You, you can go back to verse 9 and see it. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, that they were righteous, trusted in their own righteousness, and they treated others with contempt. Who, who do you treat with contempt? Who, who is it that you treat with disdain, maybe maybe because of their life, maybe because of their actions, behavior, political leanings. Who do you treat with contempt? We move from the Pharisees' prayer to the tax collector's prayer, verse 13. The tax collector now standing far off, the contrast is intense between these two people. The the position of the tax collector, he's standing far off. The Pharisee stood up tall. The the tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. There's a contrast in the prominence within the prayer. The Pharisee says, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. The tax collector beats his chest. Over what he had done, grieved over his own sin. The Pharisee approaches all of this with a great deal of pride. The Pharisee, in fact, is overwhelmed with pride, and the tax collector is devoid of it. God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner one thing to publicly announce your virtues, isn't it? Well, it's quite another thing to proclaim your sins. We can tell people what we know, we can tell people what we can do, we can brag on ourselves, but when it comes time to admit our sins, our weaknesses, our faults, we have a tendency to close, close our mouths. There's really no comparison between the two. It's just a story of contrasts. In fact, when you read here that this this tax collector prays, God be merciful to me, a sinner. The original language, it has the definite article there. The man doesn't just pray, God be merciful to me, a sinner. He prays, God be merciful to me, the sinner. I'm the sinner. Everything that people say about me is true. They've pegged me right. I am that sinner. I'm everything people say I am, and I'm more. I'm not going to try to make myself look better by comparing myself with someone else. I am the sinner. And as that sinner, I stand in need of your mercy. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. His plea echoes the cry of David in Psalm chapter 51. You you remember the story of David, his adultery with Bathsheba, his murder of her husband Uriah, the confrontation of his sin within his life, and he writes this in Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before you, before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. It's why we sang the song and sing the song we sang earlier. If God counted every sin against us, where would we be? Like this tax collector, there is a moment, and I pray that this moment has been experienced in your life when you cry out, God, be merciful to me, I am the sinner. What a contrast there is between the two. What opposites stood in this temple to pray with one another? And look at the result of all of it. Look at the proclamation that Jesus gives in verse 14. I tell you, this man, this tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. Oh, I can be certain you heard audible gasps when Jesus made that statement. That this tax collector went down to his house justified while the other, the Pharisee, did not. Wow. The Pharisee strode from that temple confident and proud in his own righteousness, but he left unaccepted, unjustified, and still under the righteous wrath of God. The tax collector, however, by coming in repentance and humbly casting himself on God's mercy, left the temple area justified before God. Sins gone, God's wrath turned away, new life begun. Paul writes about it in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. That is the point of justification. It is made available to us through the work of Jesus Christ on our behalf and nothing else. You will never be right with God in your own righteousness. You will never be right with God in your own goodness. You will only be right with God when you are justified through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, coming in pleading for God's mercy because you are that sinner. Then Jesus gives this incredible call to humility. Because everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. The one who humbles himself will be exalted. Can I ask you a a question this morning? Are your prayers like the Pharisees or like the tax collectors? To ask the question even a little bit differently, is your hope pinned upon your goodness or upon the absolute righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, you, you, you ask what's the point of this parable. Verse 9 makes it clear. He told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Treated others with contempt. If you think that the thing that separates you as righteous from others is that there is some goodness in you that is not in them, then you will be proud, you will be arrogant, you'll be contemptuous. But if you think that the only thing that separates you from those who are under God's wrath now is not what is in you but is in the mercy of God, it will make you tender, it will make you humble. It will make you caring towards them. See, we can tell a lot about our relationship with God based upon how we look and how we treat other people. Treat them with disdain. Treat them with contempt. It shows there is an error in our relationship with God. what happens is when you're trusting in the righteousness of Christ alone, you'll look at those who are trapped in their own sinfulness. Those who are consumed by their sin and you will realize, oh, that's me but for the grace of God. You'll realize that it's the mercy of God alone that makes of us who we need to be. As Paul wrote, I am what I am only by the grace of God. When you look at others that do not have the grace of God, your prayer will no longer be, well God, I'm glad I'm not as bad as they are. Your prayer will become, God, would you please save them just like you did me. As undeserving as they are, so I was. As in need of your mercy as they are, so I am. What is your prayer life characteristic? What is your heart characterized by? Self-exaltation or humility? For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Father, this morning, we stand before you as the great physician, the one who takes the scalpel of his word and lays us open to reveal the depths of our hearts. Father, my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we would be overwhelmed by our need for your mercy and by the great provision of your mercy in Jesus. Father, I pray today for those who have not trusted in you through Jesus. Father, I pray, please, would you extend your mercy and would you open their eyes to see your goodness. That this might be the day like this tax collector that they cry out, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Father, I pray for us as your children that that would be the constant refrain of our hearts because it is the constant pull of our heart away from you That you would be merciful to us and you would be gracious. Bring our hearts before your throne, Father. Make them and shape them and mold them the usable vessels in your kingdom's work. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we come, as we do on a regular basis, to remember the life and death of Christ on our behalf. We do this by celebrating and observing the Lord's Supper together, being mindful of His sacrificial death on the cross for us, being reminded of the payment that was necessary for our sin. The wages of sin is death, God tells us. And Jesus died that death so that we might be forgiven. And so today, if, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to take part in this meal with us this morning. If you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to observe. We invite you to watch what happens as you see this object lesson of the gospel the, the, the wafer that represents the body of Jesus given for us, the drink that represents the blood of Jesus shed on our behalf, a reminder of what Christ has done, that the mercy of God might be extended to us. And so we, we invite you to participate, we invite you to observe, we invite you to take part in this meal together with us. We will do this the way we have done it in the past. We'll invite you to come down either side and meet us here in the middle. Pastor Stephen will be standing with me to serve the wafer to you. As you take the wafer, feel free to go ahead and eat that, symbolizing the the individual, personal aspect of trust in Jesus Christ. It It is a decision that everyone must make individually for themselves. No one can make that for you. But as you leave from here, walk over and pick up the, the drink as well, and return to your seat, and we'll drink that together as the body gathered here this morning, symbolizing not only is this an individual, a personal commitment, but it is a corporate commitment as well. We are saying that we belong to one another. We are members one of another in the body here at Boontrail Trail Baptist Church. And so we'll pray, and after we pray, we'll invite you to come this morning. Father this day again we thank you. We thank you for the meal that we share with one another this morning and all that it represents. We thank you for the bread that represents the body of Jesus Christ. We are m- reminded of his physical sufferings on our behalf. A body physically enduring the scourgings, the beatings, the crucifixion, the body that was laid within the tomb, and the body that was brought back to life. Father, we are reminded as we drink the juice together of the blood of Jesus that was shed on our behalf. Our sin is a heavier penalty than any of us could pay. And so we come in thankfulness that God the Son took our sin upon Himself, died in our place, and gave us His righteousness. Bless this meal and this time together, Father, we ask.